X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jeff Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is January 14th, and it falls on a Thursday. Today, back in the day, January 14th, 1784, U.S. Congress ratified the Treaty of Paris. The treaty was signed in Paris September 1783 by representatives of the U.S. and King George III. It ended the American Revolutionary War, set boundaries between the British Empire and the U.S. as a nation. January 14th is known as Ratification Day. Due to a harsh winter that year, delegates from only seven of the 13 U.S. colonies were present in Congress. At that time, nine states were required to enter into a treaty. There was much debate about whether the ratification could continue, since they were technically not entering into a new treaty, but merely ratifying one. At the last moment, delegates from Connecticut and South Carolina arrived, and nine states, in fact, did ratify that treaty. Yesterday, back in the day, January 13, 2021, the United States House voted in a bipartisan way to impeach Donald Trump, President of the United States. Donald Trump became the first president to be impeached twice. Just 10 Republicans joined with the Democrats to impeach the president. It now moves over to the Senate. But meanwhile, Senator Mitch McConnell said he would not agree to use emergency powers to bring the Senate back into session for a trial before January 19th. X-ray. Today, we have an interview with Rachel Banks, the Public Health Division Director of the Oregon Health Authority, to talk about what? You guessed it, COVID and vaccinations. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-ray. The Oregon BIPOC Caucus has unveiled their legislative priorities for the upcoming 2021 session. Wednesday morning, that caucus held a virtual meeting during which they laid out their full list of priorities for the upcoming session. It had 30 items on it, all of which advanced their mission to create broader equity and leadership opportunities for people of color. Their top 10 list includes legislation for increased police accountability and criminal justice reform, enhanced educational environments, and increased access to home ownership. One notable piece of legislation, House Bill 2366, would restore voting rights for incarcerated individuals. Formerly incarcerated individuals can already vote in Oregon. House Bill 2366 apparently would mean that those currently in prison could vote. Another bill, House Bill 2359, increases access to health care by setting standards for language interpreters who serve in health care settings. The Oregon BIPOC Caucus consists of three senators and nine representatives. More info about the caucus, its members, and their legislative priorities can be found at OregonLegislature.gov. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. Yesterday, Oregon's coronavirus case count rose by 1,184 to a total of 128,325. Another 41 Oregonians died due to the virus, while 453 are currently hospitalized. Four counties have returned to extreme risk classification for COVID-19. Baker, Clatsop, Coos, and Morrow counties will move from high risk to extreme risk classification, and as a result, will have stricter safety requirements. Currently, 26 counties are categorized as extreme risk, including Multnomah, Washington, and Clackamas. Governor Kate Brown released this information during a press conference and took the opportunity to remind Oregonians about the importance of safety measures to prevent the spread of the virus. Oregon colleges will get $228 million in COVID relief. $22.7 billion were dedicated to higher education relief in the COVID-19 relief bill passed by Congress and signed by the president in late December. The Oregon Higher Education Coordinating Commission estimates the state will get $228.1 million of that. 
102.4 million will go to public universities, 97.6 towards community colleges, and 28.1 million to private colleges. This comes as college admissions have dropped and public universities in the state claim a total loss of approximately $327 million. Ben Cannon, director of OHEC, that's the Oregon Higher Education Coordinating Commission, says, and here's the quote, it certainly helps fill those gaps. It doesn't fully come close to fulfilling them, but it's a very important investment by Congress and colleges and universities at a really critical time. After several months of nightly protests, changes may be in the pipeline for the Portland Police Union contract. In the past year, Portland police have faced budget cuts, officers have been relocated to new cities, and voters approved of an independent oversight board to hold officers accountable. Negotiations for the next iteration of the Portland Police Union contract began yesterday, as many are looking to see radical adjustments to police accountability and discipline. Attorney for the Albina Ministerial Alliance Coalition for Justice and Police Reform, Ashley Albies said, quote, the unions often see an attempt at increased oversight and accountability as an anti-police movement or an anti-police sentiment. And I think that ultimately is what contributes to lack of trust in police. The current contract allows disciplinary decisions to be made by an outside arbitrator, not a city commissioner or police chief or anyone who is held accountable by voters. Mayor Ted Wheeler said that though the PPB is in his portfolio, the current contract nullifies his power. Mayor Wheeler said, quote, the expectation is that ultimately elected officials and the police chief who are held accountable to the public for the actions of the police bureau would also have the authority and decision-making power when it comes to accountability. We do not have that authority right now. Tuesday's storm resulted in landslides, power outages, and missing persons. Boy, howdy, was it raining out there, cats and dogs. And it was a windy sucker, too. Hoo-wee. That was a rainy one. Multnomah County received nearly two inches of rain yesterday, accompanied by wind gusts as high as 38 miles an hour. Dodson residents, are you aware of Dodson? Well, now you are. They received evacuation notices at 5.30 in the morning. That's a.m. on Wednesday due to flash flood warnings. I-84 east of Troutdale closed to a landslide that began around 2.30 in the morning. That's a.m. on Wednesday. As of Wednesday afternoon, rescuers are still searching for a person believed to have been swept away by the debris while driving. The landslide is estimated to be as deep as 10 feet in some areas. Additionally, 51,000 Oregonians are reported to be without power following the storm. The storm did clear early on Wednesday as many Multnomah County residents awoke to sunlight. And good news. The Oregon State song may be rewritten per Representative Andrea Salinas' proposed legislation. House Bill 2329 says, quote, The Legislative Assembly finds that the current state song for the state of Oregon, Oregon My Oregon, has lyrics that are entrenched in racism, that fail to recognize the suffering of Native people who are forcibly removed from this state, and that fail to recognize the pain and suffering of Black people who are subject to exclusion laws targeting black people. Representative Salinas believes the time has come to change lyrics like Land of the Empire Builders, Conquered and Held by Free Men, Fairest and the Best. Because Oregonians are, quote, coming to terms with our racist history. The upcoming legislative session has seen an increase in BIPOC lawmakers. And, and that's that today's, today's Quick, Quick Six, Six Local, Local Rundown. Rundown. X-Ray. Up next is our interview with OHA's Public Health Director, Rachel Banks. 
She joined Jefferson Smith to discuss Oregon's plans for distributing the vaccine, when people can expect to get it, and how folks can stay safe in the meantime. Here are Rachel and Jefferson. Rachel Banks, good morning, and thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We now have a vaccine. Is this all going to be over in three days? Because I really want to I really want to go on vacation. I wish, but unfortunately, it's going to be over in three days. We do have vaccine, uh, which is great. We've always known that, that, that to get enough people vaccinated will take some time. So we're working through that. I would say in the meantime, continue to wear your face covering socially uh, or phys- physically distance while being socially uh, connected to your loved ones in other ways. Uh, clearly all the same things in terms of wash your hands and uh, take all of the precautions. What about sharing jello and pudding with large groups of people? Do you recommend taking big vats of, of pudding or jello and having groups of more than 15 people with their own spoons, but sharing the same vat of tapioca pudding or, or some other jello product? No, you know, I have to say I don't, and uh, I've never been a fan of sharing Jello, whether that's Jello wrestling or other things. So I would say, you know, just ix- ixnay on the the pudding and the Jello for for the time being. Okay. Any <laughs> other conduct that nobody actually does that we should continue not to do? Any other any other stupid thing that luckily it stays stupid? Or what? Well, okay, here's this: as you've been watching, what's the stupid stuff you've seen people do and they keep doing that you really want them to not do anymore? Well, I wouldn't say it's stupid, right? But I mean, I think that we all want to be together and there's various ways that, that as humans, we want to be together and, and be connected. Um, and, and that's the thing that we're asking people not to do. So once again, I, I don't think it's stupid. Um, it's totally understandable. But as, you know, holidays and New Year's and all of those things, we've been especially concerned that, that just folks um, will be together and then we'll let their guard down in, in front of people that they love. So while we know that Oregonians are wearing their face coverings in public for the most part, it's really those social settings where you're inside and, and, and maybe you've had folks over, you're going to someone's house where we let our guard down. So those are the things that we want to remain diligent about, vigilant. Yeah. And is there a risk of stigmatizing? Anybody can catch this thing, right? I had an uncle in another state who caught it. I had a dear friend. Who I, I haven't seen them in person, to be clear, for months, but they caught it. The... Uh, is there a risk of people getting stigmatized by getting it because it's become, I'll say something stupid, it's become to some degree a political issue, uh, as even a partisan issue at times. Is there a risk this gets stigmatized if people get it? Yeah, I mean, we definitely don't want to see um, stigmatization. That's actually what I love about working in public health is that public health is a discipline that um, really looks at the broad factors of disease transmission and doesn't just narrow in on individual factors and, you know, what people have done, quote unquote, right or wrong. I think there, that there is that risk and folks who have gotten it have been, have felt um, remorseful and, and worried about, you know, where they may have gotten it or, or, or who they may have spread it to. So we're definitely aware of that. And I think also in the messaging, um, you'll see messaging from us coming out around, you know, making a plan to, to be safe for folks that you love, really trying to come from that strength safe place um, and less from a fear based place. The rollout has gotten a lot of attention for being not as quick as people would like. A lot of the attention being focused on the federal government. Uh, what is your response to that? And or if it's true, the rollout has been slow. I mean, to get the vaccine approved and it distributed at all has been record speed. And, and I just have, you know, 
to the folks who worked on that, I'm, I'm amazed and impressed. But in terms of actually distribution and getting it into people's arms, there has been some concern about that. What would you say about that? And if it's a valid concern, how come it's been like that? Yeah, no, and I appreciate you bringing out the the uh, record speed at which the <clears throat> vaccine has been out and manufactured. I think that that's a, a really great success uh, story. And definitely, I think that the distribution is going to take longer than what people would want. We've known that uh, for the entire time. It's, it's slower than any of us would want. We want this to, to be over. Um, I think there's a number of reasons for that. One is that we're, we're dealing with some very unique vaccines and we're getting used to what it takes to store them and transport them. Um, the first vaccine that came out required ultra cold storage. There's a limited amount of places that, that could initially handle that ultra cold storage. So there's, there's the uniqueness to the vaccines, um, that we're dealing with. Also, I think most of us have this experience with vaccines that have been around for a long time. So the supply is readily available where we can go to, you know, a pharmacy or our provider, maybe there's vaccine clinics, um, and we're working with a vaccine that's new and, and it's in limited supply. So those are all things I think that, that make it challenging to get the vaccine to as many people as who want it in the time um, who want it. And so some of the things that we're doing to resolve the process and get more vaccines ultimately out to people and distributed to people are um, we're, we're working, feeding the amount of doses that are going out to nursing homes and working with pharmacies. We're working with local public health authorities. Um, so really getting more vaccine to more places and trying to get more doses to the places who have the capacity to vaccinate a lot of people at one time. So as we, as we think about those challenges, some of the challenges that I want to either repeat or amplify that seem really obvious to me, and you, you can say others that might be more important. Uh, so we know about cold storage, right? We know that you can't just like you can't just pass. You can't go door to door and say, hey, have some vaccine, have some vaccine, put it in your freezer because your freezer won't be cold enough to keep the thing good. Uh, another another challenge is actually delivering it into the arm. You also wouldn't do that because, you know, diabetics might. Uh, self-administer to themselves insulin. Most people aren't trained to give themselves a vaccine and they might poke it in their eyeball. Uh, so you want to make sure they're trained nursing staff or somebody else who is, you know, trained at putting a needle in somebody's, in somebody's body. Uh, are those two of the bigger uh, barriers? It's not just shipping the thing, right? It's actually how do you get it inside a person? Yeah, I think those are those are some of the the biggest barriers. And just to expound on that a bit, in terms of the staffing, we really have um, protocols in place which are great to make sure that people um, are in a place that you know should there be some sort of reaction that they could get care and Got that it. there is a, a trained person that's watching them for a certain amount of time. So I think those are uh, re- great reasons and why you want those trained personnel and not just exactly like you said, distributing this here, take, you know, t- take a dose and <laughs> figure out Good luck. what part of your body to right. <laughs> Exactly. I think the other thing that's unique about this vaccine is just the amount, the, um, the amount of vaccines that come in, in packages. So, you know, they're coming in certain dose sizes. Um, and so we want to make sure that, that the places where we're delivering vaccine can use the entire dose, whether that's 100 doses or, or more. So when are people going to get it? Say more about that timeline. My wife got hers yesterday. 
Okay, she works at OHSU and in in clinical research, and the uh, and she did have. I mean, she's she, she will pass along the word that she feels like a superhero that she got it, and she did have. I mean, she was feeling some aches yesterday, right? She was feeling a little under the weather after she got it, uh, but she's still obviously a strong supporter of uh, working towards immunizations, and 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 feel felt hugely grateful, even a little guilty that she got it, but. For folks, you know, folks like my dad, who's a greater risk than me, or folks like uh, like Carly and me, who are lesser uh, risk than my dad, when when can we expect to get it? Yeah, so we're going to be using a phase process, as you mentioned. Your your wife is in the first um, phase. We're in phase one A right now. We're working through um, that phase, and um, you know that's largely speaking healthcare. Uh, personnel, and we've defined that really broadly, including healthcare interpreters and uh, first responders and, and other things. So that's the phase that we're working through now. We'll then be working, we're working with, we have a first vaccine advisory committee meeting today to determine what's called 1B and 1C and on. And so that's really the CDC is recommended through their advisory committee um, phasing. And 1B includes um, older adults as well as critical workers, so those folks who, who could be exposed and who've been continuing to keep our society running, quite frankly. So that we anticipate will be the next group um, that'll be coming out. And then from there, as vaccines become more available, the general public. We think it'll take, you know, the, the exact timing is uncertain. We don't know how many vaccines are, you know, what additional vaccines are coming. And we um, are awaiting our allotments from the federal government. We're hoping that it'll it'll steady out. So so the exact timing um, is not certain, but we definitely think you know throughout the spring and, and later summer that we'll be continuing to vaccinate people. I was on a Zoom call with a handful of people in the clinical research industry, and there was I think there were eight of us on the call, and we did a we 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 didn't bet any we didn't bet anything, but sort of everybody took kind of their over under of when we thought things would get back to normal. I'm using air quotes. And that means travel is roughly speaking unrestricted schools are roughly speaking, fully open uh, dance clubs and music venues are fully open. And I know that uh, in your official capacity, you're not, you're, you're not going to name a day. Uh, of course, I welcome you to, if you wanted to, but the range of there was like the earliest person, the, the person who took the earliest was June 29th. Okay. And that was, and I just kept on playing. I went, I just kept going earlier, and somebody else kept going later, kind of playing the Price is Right game. And I ended up being earliest, earliest with June 29th, which is my birthday. And I was wanting to be an optimist, even though I think it might be Halloween. And the latest we got was early 2022. That that sort of six month range was sort of the range. Do you quibble strongly with that range in terms of when things roughly go back to normal, uh, or do you think that's about the right range? You know, I, I like that you all are talking about a range because I think ultimately it, it's going to be a range. One of the caveats in this is I think sometimes in our predictions of, of when things will go back to normal, we're assuming, you know, that, that vaccine and that a lot of people will take vaccine. And that's certainly what we hope. So that is just a limiting factor in there. I tend to go longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just my uh, approach. Yeah. Uh, personally, it's not even my professional approach. So then I will be pleasantly surprised. So it's, it's kind of the um, under promise and over deliver uh, method. I, you know, I've heard similar ranges um, that, that do quite frankly extend into to 2022. I think there's a number of factors there. And we also haven't even touched on if there, if there are variants of COVID that cause problems that this vaccine 
doesn't solve. But what I heard you say is that it's good for people to be uh, to be emotionally prepared and sort of lifestyle prepared for this to be another year, give or take. And then we could be pleasantly surprised if it's less. The other thing I heard you say is that we can actually impact that timeline by getting vaccinated when we have the chance, encouraging other people to get vaccinated when they have the chance, because it, it, history is not destiny. We have an impact upon it. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, you mentioned that, that and I want to be really explicit with folks so they understand in terms of potential impacts or effects that they may have in the body, aches, soreness at the um, injection site, some of those things. Those are signs that you're, it, the vaccine is working. So we want folks to be prepared for those. If they hear that their loved ones are having those, it, it doesn't um, dissuade them. And I also want to say we know that we have work to do working with particular communities who've had um, a history of medical experimentation or lack of access. The thing uh, that I find really hopeful about these particular vaccines is that they have large vaccine trials, very diverse vaccine trials. Over 40% of the folks that were in the trials were communities of color or older folks, and that is um, unique, and that they have been found to be extremely safe and effective at uh, 95%, which really blew us all away. We were, you know, thought it would be a great thing if we got vaccines that were 50% effective, um, and these are 94, 95% effective. A dear friend of mine who's active with the who's active active with the numbers and active with the black community said uh, said and I will I will quote him said listen and he said listen this is not this is not the Tuskegee Airmen situation I'm following where the rich white people are going and they're not saying hey you first they're trying to get in front in front of the line so I want to get in that line also I think having a broad degree of support for us trying to get something approaching herd immunity and making sure it's not only immunity for white people. If we care at all about social justice, we care about that. Uh, let me ask one other question. Thanks for your generosity with your time. The, we did have a question from a listener and something we've heard about. Do we know yet about if the, if the vaccine addresses somebody being able to transmit or carry the disease? We're still waiting for those results to see if I know it means well, I won't get sick if I 95 percent chance I don't get sick if I get it. Does it also mean I can't contract it and pass it to somebody else? I think we're still waiting to find that out. Is that true? That's true. Yeah, you got it. We um, are still waiting to have more information. I think we're hopeful um, that it'll stop transmission, um, but we're waiting waiting for more results and, and more studies to be able to confirm that. And I will say, Rachel Banks, that luckily I do not have any license bearing upon my own predictions. And so my prediction is, is that it will not that, that it will protect against uh, getting it and transmitting it, that it won't turn a bunch of people into carriers. I think we're going to get good news on that. That uh, and I appreciate you being careful and not offering uh, bald predictions as I just did. Uh, but I think it's still a reminder. Still do not get a big vat of jello pudding and get individual spoons and share that vat of jello pudding with any more than like not anybody else, like not 15 people in one vat of tapioca or the pudding of your choice. Even if Just you've got the vaccine, household. if you have to be doing shared jello or pudding, just within your own household. Rachel Banks, thank you so much for being with us. <laughs> thank you. Take care. And thank you for your service. Thanks to Rachel for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving a five-star review, and thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.